Oh, uh, no, there's no thanks needed. Um, go back to what you said, though, for like a mental part of it, um, in all aspects of the game as well. Um, I know you do some stuff outside of hockey too, but it's such a, I don't know, I think it's like the most major factor in anything. I mean, sure, you can, a lot of guys can get in the same kind of sh shape, the same kind of strength and talent and stuff like that, but there's something that always separates those separates the uh, level of players and it's how they approach the game the mental side they get to they get to preparing for games that was stanley cup champion and nhl enforcer eric goddard and you are listening to the up my hockey podcast with jason padolan Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there, welcome back to the Up My Hockey Podcast with Jason Padolan. I am Jason Padolan, your host, and today we have episode 89, and for episode 89, I am sticking local, local to the Vernon, British Columbia, Canada area, to a guy that was actually so local, uh, so local that he was my next door neighbor up here at Predator Ridge. Uh, in, in Vernon, BC, uh, a, a fellow Vernon minor hockey product, although he's a few years younger than me, and that's Eric Goddard, as you heard in the intro. Uh, Eric, uh, Eric and I were teammates for the Bridgeport Sound Tigers way back in, what year was that? Way back in 2001, 2002. Uh, Eric had yet to play any NHL games at that point. It was, uh, one of his first years, if not his first year pro. And, uh, and yeah, we, we ended up going to a, an AHL final together uh, that year, which we talk about in the podcast. And Eric went on to play games for the New York Islanders. He went on to play games for the Calgary Flames. And he went on to play a lot of games for the Pittsburgh Penguins, where he also won a Stanley Cup in 2009, uh, playing with Sidney Crosby, Malkin, um, Geez, Billy Guerin, uh, Mark Andre Fleury, you know who? Like, obviously that team was amazing, and 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 Eric was a big part of that run up to the cup, and and even in the cup itself. So, what an amazing thing to have in your resume as a hockey player uh, to accomplish that. And we talk about kind of the fun that we had. I was able to go go out on the boat with him when he had his cup for the day, and my oldest son Hudson. Uh, shout out to Hudson, my 2009 born Hudson. He couldn't have been born in a better year being, being uh, Eric Goddard's neighbor. Uh, Hudson was born July 15th. Eric had the cup, I think, geez, towards the end of August. But uh, I think Hudson was about five weeks old. And uh, we went over on his on his deck and for, for, mo for the morning breakfast. And, and people were eating cereal out of it and what have you. And we cleaned out the cup. And, and Hudson, it was time for his, his early morning nap. And um, Hudson actually slept in the Stanley Cup, and we have some some great pictures to prove it. So what a great memory for for my oldest son, and great memories for my wife and I too. Got to spend some time with Eric that day on the Cup. Uh, but yeah, Eric was a was a feared tough guy. I mean, there's been a few players uh, interviewed on other podcasts that have mentioned Eric as the toughest of his era, or one of the most feared of his era. He uh, 
there wasn't many guys, well, no one that he backed down to and, and no one that really had his number. Uh, he did mention off the air afterwards that Colton Orr was somebody that gave him a really hard time throughout his career. Uh, he, he mentioned that George, George LaRock was probably the strongest guy that he ever fought, although um, you know never really got in any trouble against him. Uh, but he did say that, that Colton got him. But other than that, you know, we, we didn't cover it in the interview. But, I mean, um, Bugard played for Minnesota at the time. And, and Eric, Eric as, at a time when Bugard was running rampant throughout the NHL, um, felt to be one of the toughest guys. Eric brought him to his knees and, and uh, you know, legitimately knocked him, knocked him down uh, in Calgary. And that went through the league like wildfire. And I think that was probably a big po- reason why Pittsburgh ended up picking him up in that offseason uh, to help their squad and to protect their their star players. So Eric represents a time in hockey. Um, you know, Ice Guardians was a film that Eric was a part of. Um, a time in hockey that doesn't really exist anymore. You know, a role, Eric filled a role that doesn't exist anymore. And unfortunately now, uh, because I'm doing this intro after I've had the conversation, that's how I always do it. I, I regret not talking about that, that, you know, Eric got to the NHL. He was uh, kind of one of those unsuspecting guys. He never thought that he would play in the NHL. He never thought he was going to play junior, as we talk about in the conversation. He never thought he was going to play pro uh, at the AHL level, as we mentioned in the conversation. And, and and he was, you know, once he got to pro, he thought maybe this could happen, but he never really believed he was going to be in the NHL. And, and that career path just doesn't exist anymore. And uh, I'd love to know what he thinks about that, if the game's in a better place. I, I think... Uh, I think at some point it's going to swing back a little bit, maybe not to the exact time when, when, when Eric was playing, uh, where there was just you know a five-minute-a-night kind of tough guy role player that would sit on the bench. But I do think that there's going to be more more and more kind of Ryan Reeves's, more and more uh, of the Tom Wilson types uh, in the game and, and some of these defensemen that can that can protect teammates and, um, you know, and, and are willing to, to throw some knuckles from time to time. But uh, by all accounts, Eric served a role on the teams that he was on and, and a very, very valuable one at that and was one of, uh, one of the, the beloved teammates uh, for the places he played. And I think that comes through pretty loud and clear this interview. Aaron, Eric will self-admittedly say that he's not, uh, not somebody that's going to necessarily carry a conversation, but uh, he was a quiet guy in the locker room, uh, but a super nice authentically genuinely friendly guy and uh and i think that comes through loud and clear here in this interview and i'm really thankful he was able to spend almost 90 minutes with us today uh eric is also a scout now for the minnesota wild which we get into at the end of the interview uh lots of good stories here we have some good laughs we were able to uh, catch up uh, and reminisce and and we're also able to realize what we both love about what we do and that's the aspect that there is a team aspect uh, of feeling to it you know me with the podcasts of being able to connect reconnect with these players that uh these humans that i used to play with that we used to have this brotherhood with and to share these stories really invigorates me and and enlivens me and, and leaves me on a high for the rest of the day and he said that you know since he's been back uh, working with the Minnesota Wild and a part of a team, the scouting, the scouting team that relies on one each other and, and, and has this kind of inner circle that he really, really feels connected again to the sport and really loves what he does. So excellent advice there. Maybe we'll start off with that lesson because that was one of the big lessons I took away from this discussion was really appreciate what you do. Uh, for those of you who are playing hockey, some of you younger players that are that are listening right now, and you have this band of brothers that you're playing with, or if it's a you know a young lady listening, you have this this band of sisters that you're playing with. Like, do not 
do not take that for granted. It is such a special thing to be a part of a team, um, to be pulling for each other, to be rooting for each other, to have to have those connections on a daily basis. It's one of the most special things about the game that you're going to get, and they last a long, long time if you treat them with the respect that they deserve. So uh, on that note, let's get right into the interview with Stanley Cup champion, Mr. Eric Goddard. All right, here we are for the Up My Hockey podcast, episode, geez, I think it's 88 or 89, Godsey. Um, I'm almost hitting a, the century mark, but welcome to the podcast. I know we've just been talking off camera that I've been talking to you about doing this for a long time now, and it's finally happening, so thanks so much for being here. No problem. 89 is uh, it's getting up there, like you, I, I guess. Eh? It's crazy. It's crazy how that happens. Century mark, like I can almost call myself a podcaster at that point, can't I? Yeah. I think you can do it now. Okay. I'll Should just take, take that now. I'll <laughs> yeah. run with that. Um, yeah, man, I think it's going to be, there's going to be so much fun stuff to talk about just because uh, of all the guests, I mean, a majority of the guests I've played with and, and we checked that box as well, but uh, not all of my guests have been my neighbor. Uh, yeah. so, so that's a little different. And not all of my guests have been my neighbor that actually had the Stanley cup visit while they stayed there. So that's pretty cool to talk about. And uh and not all of my guests have been super, super tough guys at the NHL level. So that's also cool to talk about. So I know we got a lot to go uh, on, uh, but I usually like to start, buddy, with like how it all started. And because uh, everyone's path is so different. And I think yours is pretty unique in its own right, uh, how we ended up becoming a pro hockey player and how you ended up getting to the NHL and uh, fellow Vernon Minor hockey product. So why don't we take it back to like when you you fell in love with it and what age do you remember falling in love with it? Um, I just, I think it's most like everybody else. You just kind of always had fun. You got your good group of guys. I don't know. I feel lucky up here in Vernon, like, um, it's been lifelong friends that I've grown up with, um, getting to play with them. And as it kind of got older, starting to get more competitive, that's when it kind of really, really started to love it. When did that come? When did that start happening? Like, what age, what age was it? Was it getting? Was it getting competitive? Um, well, actually, I remember uh, first year Pee Wee. We went to the provincials and stuff like that. Lost in a heartbreaking overtime. That was a tough one. We had the everybody played two games a day, and ours happened on like the last day, and so then we ended up going to playoffs in the finals. I don't know. We played three games that day and lost in overtime. In the it was upsetting, yeah. In the finals, it yeah. was uh, upsetting as I can still feel that right still. <laughs> Isn't that wild though? Like, yeah. I, I know, like you're saying that tongue in cheek, but it is real. Like you actually do remember it, and you actually was heartbreaking. Oh, totally. Yeah, I still picture this one kid's face. He had like the trophy. They're skating around like everyone does. He does like the big knee bend, and he looks like straight at me as he's like pumping it in the air. Oh. God, I wish I could see that kid <laughs> nowadays. I uh, can't get his face out of my burn uh, in my skull. One of the um, that's one of the things. Like I've I've mentioned it on this show before. I think um, you know you went on to win a Stanley Cup, right? So like, there's there's nothing grander than that in sports. And I'm going to relay like my career winning like, and I'm going to rub a little salt in your wound here. We happened to win the Pee Wee Championship uh, in in Provincials from Vernon the, the year we were there, and uh, and it like what were we 13 years old? And again, yeah. like to, to your point, 
all the guys in that team, almost all of them, I still know in some capacity. A majority of them are still like good buddies of mine. And it was for sure one of the highlights of my entire career of hockey. Like top three, guaranteed, right? Like winning a Pee Wee Provincial Championship. Um, so it can totally impact you, like you sports. Um, at pro- I mean, for, on the positive and on the negative side too. But that's wild. I didn't know you. I didn't know you guys got to the provincials as well. Wow. Who was on that team? Any yeah. names? Did anyone else go go, go uh, play anywhere, university or otherwise? Well, uh, yeah, it was Chris Chris Ovington. Um, you know, whole career like Reed Litster, um, Corey Hintz. Um, yeah, a lot of names you could probably list right. off. So some guys that yeah. went on to play WHL for sure, right? From yeah. a from a Vernon from a Vernon Pee Wee team, which doesn't happen all the time. So you guys had a pretty strong crew. Yeah, it was a it was a good team. It was fun. That is cool. Um, so what was your journey like to the WHL? Were you did you get the Bantam draft existed when you were around? Did you get drafted in the in the draft? Uh, no, um, nothing like that. Uh, nothing was. I was just almost kind of went through Bantam and then played midget. And I was in my last year midget kind of things just kind of, uh, came together. I had a really good year, um, was actually scoring goals, which was something that's, it feels like a one year kind of wonder by now, since then I <laughs> didn't put up much, um, and got just like, um, what'd you call it when you went to, Oh, I got put on their list or something like that. And then yeah. I got to play a couple games at the end of that year and just right. did kind of well, just had that last year. Maybe I kind of filled out into my body, got more comfortable with skating and just had a good year and kind of everything kind of took off from there. Right. So you got, you got scouted at the midget level by, by the hurricanes. Um, and they threw you on the list and they invited you up to go play some games. Yep. Velo Fernand guy, uh, Craig Dimitrik kind of got it all started. Sweet. And so, so interesting, like, can you walk us through that a little bit? So, I mean, you're, you're playing hockey because you like it at that point. Like you didn't really have, maybe you had aspirations, but no one was really telling you, Hey man, you're going to be, you're going to be playing in the dub one day. You're going to be playing in the NHL. You were just kind of doing your thing by the sounds of it. Right. And then all of a sudden the hurricanes came knocking. What was, what was that like when all of a sudden you're getting this attention? Uh, it was really kind of strange. I mean, cause I, I kind of happened and then the hurricanes came through town and they're like, well, why don't you come play a game for us in Kamloops? And I was like, this isn't happening. This is kind of, <laughs> I was like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Um, but that was kind of, yeah, kind of something that happened just out of the blue. I remember going up there. I had these old beat up skates too, a big hole in the toilet. Like you can't wear those in this league. Here we got to get you some skates. So they took me to some sports shop, and I'm like getting these new pairs of skates. I'm like, this can't be real. And you know, like brand new skates, you put them on. I was toe picking everywhere. My first shift, I was driving the net, toe pick, just basically ran the goalie. I'm like, I wonder if they... <laughs> goalies and the guys are kind of hitting me after that. I'm like, I have no idea. like, just no clue what's going on. I'm like, just try and work hard, not fall down, and get this game over with this is start a terrible start to it oh my god god <laughs> that is such an epic story so you get drug out of vernon midget to go play in the whl against the blazers and they decide to buy you new skates because you're yeah. quite high enough quality for the league no <laughs> 
I don't think it could have went worse. Yeah, I mean, most of most of the listeners are hockey players or have played hockey, but I mean, I think for those who haven't played, like that is a death sentence to put on new skates, (laughs) like without skating on them before a game is 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 absolute death sentence. So that's hilarious that they even asked you to do that. My God. Oh yeah, it's funny. I can't imagine the other guys in the room like no one's saying anything to me. I'm going up, I'm warm up, falling down. There's like can't even skate. Oh, oh my gosh, that is wild! <laughs> that is so wild. You know what? That's actually maybe I, sh- I should tell this Danny Markov story just quick because it, it just comes to mind. He, we were roommates. We were in, um, we were in where the hell was that? Some little town. Uh, doesn't matter on the east coast or somewhere playing in the A on a road trip, and uh, and Danny gets called up from St. John Flames. Right, he's going to go to Toronto the next day. And Danny Markoff, for anyone who knows him at all, knows he, he didn't mind a cigarette, and he definitely didn't mind a <laughs> didn't mind a beer, and he did not give a rip that he was getting called. He'd never been in the NHL before, never been called up. He was the last one to leave the bar that night. Like I was his roommate, and I was home in bed asleep, right? And he was supposed to be on a plane at six a.m. the next day. <laughs> oh, he and, knew about it. Yeah, you know, and he knew about it. They told him before he left the arena. And so he ends up coming back because he had to pack, you know, and we packed our own stuff or whatever. He was going to be on, uh, he was going to be on the, the early flight and he forgot his skates, right? So he forgot his skates. So he had to leave without his skates. So Toronto got him new skates. And I guess the way Danny like w- broke in new skates was that he didn't do them up. So he's in the NHL for pregame skate with brand new skates on that he hasn't tied up, smelling like a chimney in a booze, in a booze factory. <laughs> And he never played another game in the AHL. Like he was never back again. Like I, I, that story still blows my mind. Can you imagine, right, being in the show and this young Russian comes up with new skates that aren't done up? No, unreal. <laughs> oh my god, that story cracks me up. We got to get back to here. So okay, so then well, this is super interesting because in midget. No one's fighting in midget, and you're scoring goals. You said so. Like you've had a, you've had what is a, you know, a career year for you. You're feeling good. They call you up. They can't assume that you're a fighter, like right? They probably just wanted you to come play. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's kind of fair to say. Um, I don't know. I don't imagine they would because there's no fighting there. I remember going to a couple, like uh, BCHL one BCHL camp, trying to fight there and just got my face pumped. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I went there, uh, had a game. I think I. Just kind of naturally got in a fight. Um, in Kamloops? In, uh, not in Kamloops, no. When I got, sorry, I finished off midget and then I went up to Lethbridge after the year was over and played, a, I don't know, first game there, maybe second game, kind of got in a fight. I was like, I don't know. I remember watching Rock'em Sock'em hockey and <laughs> trying to get and did okay. I, I mean, I don't think I had, I think I had a couple of good shifts where I was maybe still had the confidence from the, from the midget year um, and got in a fight and it was kind of the rest kind of went from there. I remember I was going to, I had this big tryout in rugby that I was going to go to, but I talked to the coach there, uh, Maxwell, and he's like, well, I can see you maybe playing pro hockey. And I don't know, my jaw must have dropped because I'd never heard anything close to that. I was more confused than anything. So I'm like, I don't know, talk to my parents and, like, well, maybe stick around and see where this goes. Um, 
and kind of went from there. I had to finish the rest of the year off there, um, and then went to camp the next year and played the yeah, next so two years. Said, I mean, I got your I got your uh, stats here up. So you had you had seven games that first year, like where they grabbed you out of grabbed you out of midget and twenty six pims. But at that point, you'd never. Well, you had the one fight in BCJ, but you never you were, you. I mean, you weren't a fighter or didn't know you were a fighter at that point or that you were even any good at it. Yeah, not really. Just kind of went. I don't know. Kind of in some small way knew that it would kind of because you know it's part of the game and stuff like that. Well, maybe I can do this and it'll help me stick around, right? More or less, and just kind of adjusted and kind of fell into that role. And, and I was lucky early and on enough that be like I'm not going to make this on really skill alone. So just kind of took that approach to it and kind of just tried my basically fight my way fight my way there right right and you mentioned maxi and i totally forgot that um or maxwell you said and you had the same coach i had in junior for the majority of my junior career brian maxwell and brian yeah. maxwell uh for those that don't know was a i think he was fifth overall or something uh nhl draft pick and <clears throat> played many many years in the nhl mm -hmm. but was a very physical stay-at-home defenseman and uh and is it fair to say he was pretty old school, Guzzi? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He yeah. was uh, He was intense. Really yeah. good coach. Uh, demanded lots of you. But he was always fair, too. I mean, he was just, man, talk about a guy like to smoke, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, we, I was joking about beer. I mean, he, I mean, I won't get into all that, but, you I mean, definitely. Yeah, right. And, uh and some of the stuff that he pulled, like you, you couldn't do now. You know, I mean, that was just the way it was. But I, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. He was, and he was an intimidating guy, wasn't he? Oh yeah, just that the way he looked, the way he talked too, just like this. I don't know. He just had one of those pre presents, like you said, like the old school kind of guy. Yeah, he had a voice like a bear, and yeah, you know, he had he had just big paws on him. He shake his hand. He had these big, big oven mitts that he would he would be lugging around and. Um, why it's interesting to talk those mm -hmm. because like I saw him and I think Soyzy would agree with this. I saw him essentially create Kevin Sawyer. Like I, yeah. I saw, you know, he, he helped Brian McCabe figure out that aspect of the game. Like he, he definitely helped the, the edgy players um, become good at what they do. And like he taught Kevin Sawyer, like the, the art, the skill of fighting. Right, like with the holds and and how to do it. And I remember them wrestling after practice, and I mean, showing them all this stuff. And um, is that what he did? did was that did he kind of help you? Did he mentor you with that role at all? Um, sort of a little bit. Um, he gave me kind of opportunities and stuff like that, and he would kind of help me. Not so much uh, about the fighting, but how to play that role and be kind of. I don't know, play on the edge. What's so? I remember skating around one practice and he was screwing around, hit me, and then I kind of made some comment about calling him old or something like that. And he just had that, looked like his, the switch went off and his like, I'm going to just, I'm like, oh God, just petrified. It must have looked like just <laughs> a deer in headlights. I was like, oh my God, sorry. I'm so sorry. I think I ended up, apologize him to him like on the bus after practice or when we were on the road or something like that and he was just kind of giving me a hard time and he's like he's one of those things like yeah you got to be able to 
turn it on at a second's notice. I kind of at a second's notice, and I kind of just never forgot that. Right. He had that switch. Yeah. This, I mean, and I, I'm not telling the story to get him in trouble because it doesn't even matter and it doesn't affect me at the time, but it's just, it was a really, it was a pretty impactful moment, but I saw that switch once. We were, we were, uh, well, more than once, but uh, with me personally, I think the, the biggest impact one was we were re- getting ready for a game. It was in the old Boone Street Barn, which I don't think you probably ever had a chance to play in. It was, uh, but it was previous to the Spokane Coliseum, that big, beautiful rink that they have now there in Spokane. And Boone Street Barn had a ton of character in it, right? It was... Yeah. You know, if you look down the boards, you know, like it would be like a snake <laughs> like this, right? You know, and, and if you, if any type of hit, the boards would sway and it was a huge crash. And, and our uh, dressing room was up on the second floor and we had to walk down kind of through the crowd to get to the ice. And there was a, there was a definitely a lot of, uh, it was just, it was just a really cool place to play. But anyways, regardless yeah. of that, we're up in the restroom and, and we're, and we're getting ready for this game. And, and Max, he, as you know, he liked his entrance, right? He'd come in at about the five-minute mark, I think it was, and like, and it was always the five-minute mark, right? Like whatever yeah. it was when that clock was there, he'd walk in, and and he expected everyone to be in their seat, and and I knew this, but I also had to take a huge piss, right? Like I always, <laughs> always before the game, right? Like I would have this, I'd have a nervous, <laughs> a, a nervous piss, right? And I was like, yeah. well, either I do it now and try and get back to my seat before Maxie comes, right, or I'm gonna have to piss myself on the bench, right? So. So I run off to the can and I'm coming back and sure enough, I'm coming back into the room, like as he's walking into the room. Right. And, um, I think I was 16 or 17 too, like, you know, young and new to the league. And, and he gave me that, like, he walked in and he gave me that, you know, like that look. And I was like, yeah. oh. and, and, and during the talk, he kept like looking back, you know, like, and then he had to, he stopped at one point and he goes, put on, what is that? You know, and I was like, nervous piss, Maxie. Don't you nervous piss me, he says, right? Like, and I'm like, oh, my God, right? I'm just, like, losing it. And I was always, like, second to last one out of the room. So now I'm like, do I go first because I think I'm going to get murdered, you know, or do I yeah. wait? And, um, anyway, so I, I waited, and it was by the stick rack. And anyway, Sawyer was the last one to go out all the time. So it was Sawyer and me. And Maxie came over and like, I don't remember what he said, but he legitimately grabbed me by the neck and like had me up against the wall. And he was like looking at me and it was like those, like, I think he might've maybe murdered me, maybe if, if Soizy wasn't there, right? Like Soizy, yeah. and Soizy said something to him and he kind of like cl- clicked back in and then I, like, nothing happened after that, but like, oh my God, like, you know, <laughs> obviously you couldn't, you mean you shouldn't, you should have never have done that. You know what I mean? But times were different. It is what it is. And he never hurt me and, and I'm fine. And it's a funny story to tell now, although I think that's the first time I've ever told that story. But yeah. um, you talking about that switch, I saw the fear of God. Like when that switch went, I was like, oh, oh this is not going to be good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not going to be good. Um, but to your point, to your point, man, like he taught me more about the game than I think any other coach did. Yeah. I say so too. He was, um, he was so great at doing that. I mean, you talk about maybe he can't do that anymore. I mean, obviously grabbing it, but just, I don't know, just how he approached the game and would be very open with me about it. Like, Hey, this could be a way to go. He's like, I did it would help me kind of prepare for games and stuff like that. He was, he was unbelievable how he, would teach me how to kind of study the game or find players to kind of to watch to be like and it was great i'd love to have him as a coach again yeah yeah i agree he he uh 
he always talked to. I remember the guys. I think that's why. I mean, I don't think he disliked me, but we were definitely different players, right? Like I, I played competitive and I had no issue fighting. But like before a game, like for me to be like mad before the game started, that just wasn't me, and I didn't play well that way. You know, I couldn't be too serious. I had to be a little more loose, and he didn't. That wasn't him, right? Yeah, but the guys that that he gravitated to, and I think that really really did well underneath them were like Caber, and he taught Caber how to play with a bur- as as Max you would call a burr up his ass, right? Like yeah. I'm sure he used that phrase with you a ton, right? Like, and he talked about preparing so you're mad before things even started, so you don't play your way into it, right? Like you're already in in this in this mindset of it's wartime, essentially, yeah. right? Um, I don't know if he worked with you on that, but I told like Jeremy Stasek was another one. He was my line mate. Like he totally, Jimmy would play unbelievable when he was ready like that, you know, and he, for his style of game, Brian McCabe, Kevin Sawyer, Paxton Schulte. Like I can go on and on like these guys that really, he brought out the best in in those players by, by talking them through that type of preparation status. And, and I talked to some of the guys I work with now on that too. Some guys play like they, they're better hockey players playing a little bit angry. Right. I think so too. Yeah, just coming out, being ready to play from the drop of the puck, and how important it was to play like that full sixty minutes. I mean, not kind of waiting. I don't know, taking the initiative more and pushing the pace of the game instead of just kind of waiting for it to come to us. Yeah, yeah, I know for sure. As 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 you grew into that role, like how. Were you somebody, I mean, I remember, I don't remember, I mean, I don't know how your memory is with everything, but like my memory is definitely not great. Like as far as much, you I mean, I remember some big events. I remember things, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not super clear on a lot of stuff. And I don't, I don't remember what you were like in the room before games is why I'm saying that. Like, were you somebody that was pretty, I mean, you're a pretty quiet guy just by your natural personality. I, I assume you would have been more keep to yourself, more, more kind of uh, from that serious get pissed off before it starts mode. Yeah, I would. Uh, I was never the big talk or anything like that. I was more kind of quiet and trying to get myself ready to come out. Um, I just always felt more comfortable and felt that I was. I would play a lot better if I just kind of would kind of focus on my game and whatnot, not trying to pump other guys up too much. Right. What. Uh... I've never, I, I'm, and I, Adam, I'm sure you've probably been asked this question before. Although, I mean, I, I, I haven't asked it much before, so why I'm still curious mm-hmm. with it is, when it comes to you and your approach to, you know, your role, I guess, at the NHL level, which was to take on some pretty tough characters for the most part, um, was that something that you looked forward to, or was it something that you like? What was your whole approach to to what you did? Was it with a bit of a smile or was it with a little bit of fear or like, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is, but can you walk us through what that was? Um, it was always felt like kind of different from game to game. I mean, I'd say the majority of the time was like pretty that like nervous kind of energy, whatnot. Uh, some games it would be just almost felt like terrified with that big, like anxiety kind of coming out. Um, some nights, maybe you just knew it was coming and you just had that exciting kind of, you know, just happy to be in that moment kind of thing. Like it was, okay, it was fun. It's going to be a fun night. Cause you know, the game that's going to come and it's just, everyone's just kind of all ramped up for it. Um, but definitely sometimes maybe the majority of the times was just that nervous energy coming out. Cause you know, 
God, you know, you see these guys fight now with all the clips and internet. You can see the guys fight when they're almost like the beginning of junior. So it was, you kind of always knew the guys coming up. And a lot of the guys came out of the Western League just at that same kind of time. So I kind of already fought them and stuff like that. And it was, yeah, I guess, long story short, it was majority of it just being nervous. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you know me, right? With my with my questions and what I'm into, like I think the psychology of that. I mean, there's a there's obviously a a, a massively physical component to do what you guys did. You know, like there you most of you guys were monsters, super strong, really, really, really powerful and skilled at what you guys did. Yet there's a there's a psychological component there that I think for people who to disregard it is 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 not is is not doing it any type of justice because. You know, when I have had the conversations, it's like not many of, of you guys were like smiling going into it. You know, like maybe, you know, there's a handful, right, that actually enjoyed it. a lot of guys. I mean, it was a job, right? And it was something that brought out some anxiety and it wasn't something that was, you know, fun, let's say. And, and I just had a tremendous amount of respect for for you guys that were that were able to do that um, night in and night out. My goodness. Uh, so, first of all, thank you for what you did. Um, I'm not Sorry sure. that. Yeah, no worries. I'm not sure if you ever got enough of that. I know at the time I would definitely be given pad steps. And I think that guys, you know, I think you guys appreciated it, but I'm not sure if it was ever like a grateful, heartfelt thanks because, uh, you know, sometimes you, you kept me out of some trouble. I know that for sure by, by having your presence around. Oh, you're always stirring up stuff. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, there's no thanks needs. Um, go back to what you said though, for like a mental part of it um in all aspects of the game as well um no you do some stuff outside of hockey too but it's such a i don't know i think it's like the most major factor in anything i mean sure you can a lot of guys can get in the same kind of sh shape the same kind of strength and talent and stuff like that but there's something that always separates those separates the uh, level of players and it's how they approach the game the mental side they get to they get to preparing for games off the ice doing the extra little things to make sure they're one step ahead. I mean, it's just a, it's a huge thing. I mean, when it came to like my role and stuff like that, I mean, there was always kind of like a balance that I always had struggled with finding. I mean, sometimes I'd get so worked up and ready to just kind of be ready to fight the other guy or in that kind of role. And I always felt my game would kind of suffer because I wouldn't be necessarily prepared for the game. I'd just go out and skate around looking for for a fight, basically, instead of just kind of settling into the kind of the role in case something happens. Then other times I would just get prepared to play the game, and my game was better. I played better, but then I'd come to the, some fight, and it's like I didn't have like a that kind of edge. I was more, I don't know taking the cautious approach to the fight, which doesn't really, I never thought did it myself any favor that didn't, I'd kind of lose those fights. And that's something I'd worry about because if I lose the fight, their team's getting excited. My team's getting taken down a lot. You know, there's kind of that, that pride and that worry that, you know, I got to win this fight for the team to keep this, this game and this battle rolling basically. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the, the next level of that is, too, you lose too many fights and you lose your job. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> well, right, you know what That's I mean? Like, way, when it yeah. comes down to it, right? I mean, like, that, that 
and that that's that's never a, a great spot to operate from. But I guess I mean in in our own way, we sort of all. I mean, I stop scoring goals, and I'm not going to be a goal scorer anymore, and I lose my job too. I guess right. So I guess it's sort of the same. You got to do what you're what you're there to do. Um, but I totally understand that too, because when you when you're saying like play my game, like part of your game is being physical and getting into a fight and doing well there, but you're also playing the game of hockey, right? So I totally see what you're saying there, because there's two. You're playing a game within a game. Really? No, I'm sorry, but I mean, it's all kind of relatable as well. I mean, you're talking about like going score, scoring and stuff like that. You kind of, I've seen some guys, um, well, like, you know, they're there to score, they're putting up goals and they, there's always those kind of slumps, you know, like fighting almost kind of like maybe you'll get a little break because there's a, hey, at least you're going out there and trying. Um, but it seemed, it's got to be tough to go into like some of those little, uh, what do you call it? Slumps. I've seen some guys like really start to kind of affect them. Then they're kind of like changing sticks, tape, changing tapes, you know, like, dude, I'm like, man, that's, <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to go do that. I was that guy for sure. Yeah. Super streaky. Um, try and help players. Now it's hard though. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it, I mean, that's got to take like a mental toll. Just going to take a short break from my discussion with Eric Goddard to remind you all about upmyhockey.com, the website, which is the business behind the podcast. So the business behind the podcast is getting people what they want, getting hockey players what they want, which means their goals, which means their dreams, uh, which means becoming the best player that they can be. I believe the key to development is between your ears. I believe it's mindset and I believe it's the approach to the game, uh, whether that is managing emotions, creating confidence, keeping confidence, or whether that be your approach to practice and your approach to development, your personal practice, as I call it, or whether that be uh, means covering your belief system and your mindset about development and growth and progress and what mistakes mean and what feedback means, or whether that means just really clearly understanding what your controllables are as an athlete, uh, what is within your control and what is with not, and becoming a master at the ones that are within your control, whether it be preparation or nutrition or sleep or your thoughts or your practice habits or your inner circle. Uh, there are so many things that fall within the realm of mindset, as I call it. Uh, I think that is the thing that separates us. Uh, from the rest, from the pack, Le allows you to develop faster, allows you to have a longer shelf life, a longer career, gives you more opportunities, uh, and it really taps into the potential that is within each and every one of us. I love mentoring players in that regard. I do it on a one-on-one -on -one level. I do it at a team level. Uh, the foundation that I work with players on is through the Peak Potential Hockey Project, which is a four-week program I developed uh, that has four different themes throughout the week, some of which I just touched on. And, uh, and yeah, and that is what I do when it comes to working with players across North America. That is, uh, that is my approach. That is the comp competitive advantage. And these are the skills that are going to last your player a lifetime, not just within hockey, but in whatever it is that they choose to do. Uh, I also have my on-ice programs and camps that I run here locally. Uh, that is another part of the Up My Hockey business. But for all intents and purposes, uh, this podcast exists because of the mindset that 
work that I do with athletes. It gives me a platform to talk about things that I think are super relevant, that I think allow athletes to change their perspective, to make different choices about how they're going to participate in their games and in their practice and how they're going to choose to spend their time. And, um, and yeah, and I'm grateful for the opportunity that it gives to have, have these powerful conversations with very, very successful people and with successful players. So if you are interested as either a parent or a hockey player about working and developing your mindset, uh, which is probably the thing that you have never contemplated actually consciously working on with some intention, uh, then Up My Hockey is the place for you to start. Uh, the Peak Potential Hockey Project is a place for you to look at. You can do that on an individual level or you can do that as a team. Uh, there's two ways to do that. Uh, the team aspect is something that I'm very busy with this fall. There's been a lot of teams approaching me. I do have room for more. If this is something that you want to do as a team, if you're a general manager, a hockey parent, or a coach, and you want to have this become part of the curriculum for your team this year and make it a year to remember, um, by all means, reach out to me on upmyhockey.com. I can get you all the details. There's also upmyhockey.com forward slash peak potential. It's really easy to find on the website. That gives you all the information about the Peak Potential Hockey Project uh, and why it might be something you'd want to consider for your for your hockey player or for your team. So without further ado, let's get back to the interview with Stanley Cup champion Eric Goddard. So you, you come out you come out of junior um I mean, I, I see see your stat line there, 300 penalty minutes to your last year there, and you signed as a free agent uh, to Florida. It's crazy that we have that in common too. Our first NHL contracts were with Florida. But um, at what point, and maybe it wasn't junior, maybe it wasn't, I don't know, but like were you, did you believe in you to be like, I think I can do this at the NHL level. Like I, I think I'm an NHL tough guy. Like, did, was there a moment for you like where you kind of remember or was it more gradual or how did that all work? Um, almost no, I never really, uh, thought that never really crossed my mind. And I, it always seemed like just some sort of like, oh, I can't believe I'm here. Cause I went from major to junior all of a sudden. Then at the end of my junior year, we got, uh, beat out of playoffs and you're like, well, you're going to go up to the American league. I'm like, what? This is, I keep thinking like, this is the end. Like it can't be. So, I mean, <laughs> Got pulled up to American League, played some games at the end of the year. I'm like, the same kind of scenario. I'm like, this isn't kind of happening. Um, it's almost a little, I mean, not easier in the game, but there's a little easier thought process for because it's like, okay, this was my role in junior. This is going to be my role there. Um, and again, having Maxi there too, it's like, hey, you know, keep doing, just play your game that and just go from there. You know, he already had me kind of like in that kind of mindset of don't get too caught up in the moment. Just go out there and just do your thing, play your game and things will go from there. All right. So there wasn't that one, I don't know, like in the AHL, there wasn't the, the one big tough guy that maybe you did well against or something and thought, Holy smokes, like I belong here. Or did you feel, and that's the thing I don't, I, that's the mental side for me is like, cause I know, I guess I'll relate it to me. I did really well my rookie year in the AHL. Like I had over a point a game. I think I scored 25 goals or whatever as a 20 year old. So like, I felt like I belong there, right? Like I sort of, it wasn't, it wasn't a big transition for me for whatever reason, but go, every time I put on that NHL Jersey for whatever reason, I don't know. I just didn't feel like I belong there. Like I wasn't comfortable. I didn't think I was an NHLer yet, like mentally, 
you know, like I think my skill set was there and everything, but I didn't think that I was really there. Um, did you ever have, did you ever have that kind of piece? I know you said like, it, not really, but maybe at the AHL level, like, was it, was it before, I don't know. Like, did you have a moment there where you're like, Oh no, I just beat this guy up. I don't, not sure if I was supposed to be able to do that. Uh, well, there's one thing uh, I ended up, a lot of the guys that one of the guys is Todd Fedork. Um, he was with Philly and he was a couple years ahead. He was getting some games at the flyers and cause he would just run over guys, right? He was a, what they call him the fridge. He was a tank. But I remember my first game was against, um, no, not my first game, but Philly, I saw him. And he was fighting all these guys, doing really well. You're like, holy, he's got tons of hype. I'm like, I fought this guy. I did pretty good. You know, maybe I do got like a, a shot at this. It was kind of, but then until it kind of happened, it was always kind of like, can I do this? You know, but it was, right. but seeing those guys kind of do it that I played against junior against and then the minors against kind of gave me a, a rough idea that I could probably handle myself at that level. Right. I remember Sean Thornton I had on as a guest a little while ago. So, you know, you must obviously know Thornton. I don't know how personally you know him or not, but um, he spoke pretty eloquently about that just because he was in the minors for a long time, as you know, like a long time. Right. And uh, and then ended up winning two cups and ended up like really having a, an amazing, you know, NHL career. And he fought a ton and he was never a big guy and no one thought he could be a heavyweight, but yet he kept doing well. And he started to get frustrated because he was like, I kept seeing all these guys move on, you know, and he's like, and I was never moving on. And, um, but he felt like he did belong because of what he was able to accomplish right at the AHL level. So he had the belief system in place. So when he got, when he got his call, he was kind of already ready to go. Um, maybe walk us through your yeah. first call up and, and what you remember from it and, and the game and everything else. Cause I know it's a special moment for me for sure. And I'm sure it was for you. Um, First game pro kind of thing? No, well, first NHL. Well, first there's a good NHL story, game. my first year pro, first game pro. Um, I'll start with this story. It's pretty funny because uh, I got called up at a junior to uh, – it was Florida's farm team in Louisville. It was their last year in Louisville. Yeah, uh, They had like Brent Thompson, Rocky Thompson, Joey Tedarenko. Um, I think one of those like Cabana brothers. I think that's – I can't remember this Jack guy's – Maybe. Um, scrappy guy. Um, so I'm nervous as uh, I went out there. I think I, I fought someone. I don't know if Fedorik was there or not. Uh, might've been him. He, this guy, I think he was the first guy I fought in the NHL too. Just helped me up the whole way up. <laughs> but we're playing. Yeah. Cause just a goon squad, basically the whole team. I was up there called up and like, I heard Rocky Thompson, you know, he's fighting, he's doing the big flexing. Like he was, this guy was crazy. He always heard the legends of him and Scott Parker going because Parks played in well, a clone in that old rink. You're like, this guy's crazy. Um, but it was near the end of the game. Uh, we, we got a penalty shorthand. They gave us a face off at uh, our defensive blue line. I'm like, oh, what's going on? They, they had a couple of Russian guys out there that had like no idea. They're just there to get some points. Puck drops. They had Frankie Lassard. He comes screaming at Tedarenko from the point because he was sticking one of their guys. I'm like, this is right in front of our bench. And I remember 
I think it was cut them off and they start fighting. I'm like, oh, this is nuts. I look over down the ice. Brent Thompson is absolutely, this guy's turtled and he's just smashing this guy. I was, just, I was like, this, this can't be happening. I look back at uh, Ted Arenko's fighting with a guy, Commander's fighting with uh, Frankie Lassard. I'm like, okay, I look back over. Rocky Thompson has nothing on. He's like, took his sweater off, his shoulder pads, he's shirtless on the ice. And he's like, give him like the one, two, because there's the two Russian PP guys, like standing by, side by side. And he's like, punching at both of them. And they, they're so <laughs> confused. The one guy takes off his own jersey and he's standing there. I don't know how he did this because he took his own sweater off. He saw his helmet and gloves and stick in his hands and no sweater. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a magician. Then I look back, the, whatever, Ted or Anko's fighting and they're still fighting. I look back and it's just literally heads on a swivel. Like fights going on and fights going on. I'm like, this is wild. Then I'm watching. Uh, the Lions been trying to put Brent Thompson out the end boards because we came out the Zamboni doors and they came out that same end just in the corner. But they're pushing Brent Thompson out. Our backup goalie is like trying to hold the door and not let the guy get pushed out. He's like, I know we're going to be down 5-3 on guys in this big line brawl. So they finally get him out. He's standing behind the glass. They finally get Frank Lassard because he's a little wild man too. But they put him in the in the opposite corner, not to the dressing room, just so he's just standing there basically on concrete. That's why, okay, it's kind of calming down. Um, they're breaking up fights, and I hear the crowd erupt again. And I look up on the Jumbotron, there's Brent Thompson and Frank Lassart out in the stands fighting in this runway. And it's like you got this, look, it's like WWF, the cameraman's hanging over the ledge like filming these guys. I guess Brent Thompson like weaved his way through the the stands, like underneath like those big, I don't know how he got even through there, tap Lassard on the shoulder and they just start fighting. I'm like, this can't be real. It's my first game. I'm like, this is, this is crazy. My next game was against like Hershey. There was like Scott Parker. And then remember Frank Bialois? The animal? The animal was playing a Hershey too. Long hair, big beard, this Parker, big beard. And they're just like cruising the blue line. And I'm like, I don't know what to do because Brent Thompson got suspended. Rocky Thompson got – everyone suspended. It's basically – I was like, oh, shit, I'm like the only guy here. And they're like both like back and forth through the the red line, just staring down at him. I'm like, oh, God, like I'm going to get murdered. I've heard of the animal. <laughs> but I know parks from before. I think they end up may got scratched or something like that. There's nothing, nothing really happened that game. Oh my God. You were like, thank God. Yeah. I'm like, this is, I can't play in this. Like, this is insane. <laughs> Making the next step to the NHL was kind of easy after that game. That's yeah. true. Well, no, seriously though. Like it was, it was, I don't know. It's kind of fun to tell the stories. The game is so yeah. different now, obviously, but the stories are like, are fun because it was nuts. Like it was absolutely nuts. It was crazy. Yeah. Oh, it was nuts. The AHL was that was the toughest league I've ever played in by far. Like some of those guys, like Steve McLaren was a short, stocky dude, but just I remember he hit me in the eye and my eye like instantly swelled shut. It's like I used to be like okay, like not really get black eyes or anything like that. I was like, okay. Boom. I remember I think I was like skating to the penalty box and there's like picture my eyes already black and like swollen up. I'm like, that took like <laughs> half a second. How do you do that? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, we yeah. were uh, we were in the Rock actually, and uh, Terry Ryan. I, I don't know if you ever played with him or you know the name or whatever, but he uh, he was a first rounder to to Montreal, and and he played in Fredericton under Terry, and and, and Frederick Freddie had some tough teams back when I was like my first couple of years. I don't think you were in the league yet then, but and then the baby Leafs were tough, and like that whole division was like well, the whole league was tough. Like let's be honest, but like that division was like exceptionally tough, and it was. There was just nights where it was it was just nuts. Like Thority said, he knew like he was getting he was three fights for sure and out. You know, like he he knew he was fighting three times. And you know, we we have stories of Greg Bird Dog Smith shooting pucks across <laughs> the ice at the goalie coach, and like you know, like just crazy absurd stuff that you would never think is supposed to happen unless you're watching Slap Shot. But it was like on a weekly basis you would see that was crazy. straight it out of Slap Shot. Like you go in the, and there was you're like there's they got like three four guys that throw down like you got two it's like okay like if i don't fight each of these guys like it's just gonna get out of control like yeah three fight nights were i don't like more i mean they weren't every night but it's like it was felt like it was pretty regular to have like two (laughs) two, three fights a game i um so I did i did look up and one thing i found in in my brief bit of research was that your first NHL fight was against my roommate in Toronto, Mr. Ty Domi. So, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of, uh, I don't know if you remember that or not. I assume you would, but do you remember that fight at all? And, and was, was it, there any significance there to, to fight? You know, I, I, some would consider him kind of a legend in the, in the, in the game, you know, how, how long he did what he did for and, and, uh, the career he had. So maybe walk us through that whole scenario. Yeah, he was, it was crazy to be like on the ice with like some of these guys I played against were just kind of, like skill guys, tough guys, you always watch it. Like, I, this can't be real. Um, but what happened is I got traded to the Islanders. Or no, yeah, because we played in Bridgeport, right? Mm-hmm. And I got traded to the Islanders after that year. Um, and that, they had that really huge series, right? With, uh, like, Tucker was there, like, uh, Corson and stuff. And I think, well, the Peck and Yash, and they got there. Islanders finally got back to the playoffs. And it was had this amazing seven-game series against Toronto. I remember Pekka got hurt by Tucker or something like that. He just blew it up in this big cheap shot. I can't really quite remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're coming around the next year. There's still that. Oh, you there? Sorry. I keep, um, Don't worry. That... Yeah, go ahead. Um, Except you might so want to fit where your head is right now because I can only see part of your – yeah. How's that? There we go. That's better, yeah. Yeah. Are you sure you want to see that? Yeah, of course, man. You're looking there. But it was, they were just totally jacked up. The Coliseum fans were nuts. Like, they were just, the vibe in that arena was just like, it's going to be a bloodbath. And do you remember Steve Webb? Oh, yeah. He was like a cannibal getting shot around the ice. Um, Honestly, playing with him made my job so easy because he would be around like destroying guys, and I'd just have to basically follow the pile of wreckage behind this guy and <laughs> just try and cover for him. But we're on the ice, and I just remember hearing this like thud, and I like looked over, and I think it was Hoagland. It was like probably about six feet in the air, completely horizontal, like out cold. He comes crashing to the ice, and I was like. Oh my God, this is just, 
Melee, I think I just dropped my gloves instantly. Like Courtesy of Webby? Yeah, just blew them up. And then I think it was Ty that came in. I just ended up, we ended up crossing paths or like cut him off trying to, because he was out to basically kill Webby. Like, I think that's, talk about screws going loose. I think he lost it. I cut him off or something like that. And we ended up fighting. I was like, this is tight to me kind of thing. Got to the penalty box. I'm like, shit, this is... <laughs> I did okay too. I was like, hey, you know, a little pumped up. You know, I remember watching Sam seeing his old fights and stuff like that. Like, oh, I can't believe I just fought Domi. It's kind of did all right. His huge head and his left hand coming at you. It's just steady. <laughs> yeah. You speak, you talk about like you, you having a good, uh, well, I don't know what you'd even call that, but like a, a, a eyes that wouldn't, wouldn't go black very often or whatever from getting hit. Like I wasn't, I wasn't in Toronto long enough to speak like super, uh, from experience, but I did see Ty get in fights when I was there, and I did see him take a lot of shots, especially this one fight. And it was like nothing. It was like nothing happened to him. Like I couldn't, I I couldn't believe it. I think I kind of have an okay body for that too. Like I don't bruise very easy and stuff. But like there wasn't a there wasn't a mark. There wasn't a welt. And I'm like, you just got smashed in your face, like by a large man. Yeah, and he had nothing there. Nothing. I remember, I think I, uh, one of the guys, I think it might have been Snow, he's like, you cut him. I've never seen him cut before. I'm like, did I cut him? Because I didn't see it at all. Maybe it was like a a drop of blood or something like that. Because, yeah, he, he couldn't, nothing would happen. He'd have not a single mark. He'd be laughing. You're like, this guy's. Yeah. How demoralized, like that, must, like that would make you like a little, like demoralized a little bit, wouldn't it? Like, can't hurt him. Yeah, kind of. Like he's like, I hit this guy as hard as I can, and he's just. I'm like, I just, <laughs> I feel like a small child. <laughs> oh, did I ever tell you my uh, my Jim McKenzie story? No. Oh, I gotta so, tell it to you. Do you ever fight Jim? Yeah. Did, One time, did, uh, yeah. Any, my first... any, anything memorable about those fights? Um, no, it was like one. It was just one preseason game. We're just kind of getting to. It was a all right, yeah, fairly even fight. I was, um, I didn't know who he was, and I had just come over in a trade from Toronto. So you know how the, even like the league was then, right? Like we, the East was in the East, and you barely ever saw the West, and you know, like the way the AHL was and stuff too. Like there wasn't too many. You didn't cross paths too much with some of those um, Pacific teams, and and I had got traded the year before, so I was in camp with the Kings and trying to make this team as fourth line, third line, right winger. Uh, they told me to come in at like 215 pounds that year. And so I was in the, you know, whatever, eat, drinking whole milk shakes five times a day and, you know, trying to be a power lifter in the gym and accomplished my 215 and came into camp and was, you know, trying to play physical and stuff and, and play the role. Didn't, wasn't trying to become a fighter by any stretch of the imagination, but in this one preseason game, Solani got rammed through the boards by Sean O'Donnell kind of from behind. Right. And you can imagine how that played out. Right. Korea mm -hmm. and Solani were both in that game. And so I think we, we were down a man. And so I went out for the, for the penalty kill and Jim McKenzie comes out for the power play. Right. And, and I, I mean, I knew enough about him that I knew he wasn't supposed to be on the power play. Right. Like it was probably his first power play minute he's had in a long time. <laughs> and, uh, and somebody, I forget who lined up next to him. Somebody lined up next to him who probably like should have been the guy lining up next to him. 
And then Andy Murray yells over to me. He's like, but Owen, you get over there. So like he got, he made like the guy go back. I can't, I wish I remember who it was. So then I go over there, 21 years old, right? Like just scored 42 in the AHL the year before. And I'm lined up beside Jim McKenzie. And so Jim McKenzie, right when the puck drops, he slashes my ankles with two hands and he goes, here we go, kid. Right. I totally remember like playing his day. I don't remember much. So I dropped my gloves. And I swear, I, I mean, I'm not pretending I had any huge power punches or anything, but I hit him as hard as I've hit, ever hit a human in my life, right? Like in, twice, three times, man. I think I might even got three and not like nothing, right? He's standing straight up, the grin in his face, right? Like, and all of a sudden he starts raining down the light. I had no <laughs> idea he was left, right? So then he starts yeah. throwing lefts at me. I was, I was, I was throwing with my right. I ate like three or four. I'm on my back. He cut me open on my cheek, right? Like, Anyway, the whole thing didn't go well for me. But the beauty of that story is, one, I was fine. You know, I got to get stitched up. The boys absolutely loved it, you know, that yeah. I, I fought Jim McKenzie. And I had no idea how tough he was either. Like, I remember Lappy and LaPerriere was like, he's like top five, man. He's top five. He kept telling me, right? He's, he's fought, you just fought Jim. Anyways, it was hilarious. So that's my one claim to fame in the tough guy department. I, I fought Jim McKenzie. <laughs> yeah, he, he was tough. He was huge. He was big and left. I, I wish I would have known that earlier, but yeah. I probably would have fought the exact same way. Maybe it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, uh, when it comes to like memorable, memorable scenarios, I mean, we we're coming up here in an hour. I totally want to talk about, uh, first of all, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your goals because as as fun, we we joke around. I know I know you well enough, but you know I I wouldn't I wouldn't have bet like how you said uh, earlier. They I mean every step for you is like holy shit, I'm here, right? Like wow, I'm here. And I bet you if a lot of people would have would have bet on who'd have scored more goals in the NHL, they wouldn't have put much money on you over me. But you definitely kicked my ass <laughs> in that department. So I'm going to give you your claim to fame uh -huh. here, and I want you to tell us about your favorite goal in, in the show and 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 break it down. Um, it's hard to say my favorite one. Um. I can't go like um, my first goal ever was against Toronto, Ed Balfour, you know, just everyone knows that name, but it was honestly, it got to be comical because it went off my skating in. I think my first four or five goals like went off my skates and in <laughs> and every single one went to review. So I'm like, when my skating went in, I'm like, Oh my God, try to celebrate the first goal. Everyone comes out and they're like, Hey, you know, picking up the puck. I'm like, and instantly you knew, like, the refs were talking, it's review. Like, I didn't – I'm sitting – so I'm sitting on the bench, and it's – I don't know why it took so long. It felt like it took three hours. It was probably, like, two minutes. Hey, it's a good goal. I'm like, oh, awesome. That's <laughs> not at all how I thought. <laughs> how I wanted it to be. Okay. And then, like, the second one, the same kind of thing, reviewed. Third one, reviewed. I'm like, this has got – <laughs> that is so funny yeah. man that's hilarious so for real the first three not four the first four, four swear how... out, first four goals all reviewed first four goals went to video review because it went off your skate yeah so yeah, they <laughs> counted still but <laughs> well holy smokes and you got you got six goals so four of them went off your skate i know that i saw yeah. one that you shot in it was actually a nice pr pr pretty nice goal is, is that the one that you're going to talk about then i, I don't no, know i don't even good. remember that one i shot it <laughs> <laughs> what goal is that? I don't remember that one. That's so awesome. What's well, that? You you went to the net and um, 
Well, it was a re- I mean, it was something like mine. Mine was a rebound goal, like that I shot through Ron Hextall's legs. It was not. There was nothing special about it at all, just from the slot. And uh, but it was still one that I actually used my stick for. So I guess I have that. And uh, and and you and you shot one in for sure. I think it was a similar thing. Rebound going to the net. I think side of the net, and uh, you hit the open side is the is the highlight that I remember. But maybe maybe not. Maybe it was a preseason game or something that I saw. And you oh, probably it. preseason. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> Oh, I had a couple that just ended up like bouncing off a stick and going in, just driving the net, hitting the stick. Yeah, well, hey, man, you take them. You got six of them. That's pretty cool. And 833 penalty minutes to go along with it. That's that's a lot of fights, man. There can't be too many minors in there, I wouldn't think. Um, There wasn't a ton, no. I had to be very careful. You take a minor, you wouldn't play the rest of the game. Right. <laughs> take some sort of bad penalty. Do you um, know how many majors you got? Like, is that something you know? You know? Uh, no, not sure. Not so. it was no, it was the majority of those ones, yeah. So over a hundred fights mm-hmm. in the NHL, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's yes. That is pretty close, yeah. Talk, man. Let's talk about the run. Let's talk about the run. Let's talk about the cup. Let's talk about playing with one of the greatest players to ever play in Sidney Crosby. Let's talk about one of the biggest icons, the goaltender um, in the sport and Marc-Andre Fleury, like that time and that, and that team in Pittsburgh to be, to be a big piece of that puzzle, man. You were on Marc-Andre Fleury's mask, man. Like you definitely made an impact on him. Um, Talk about that whole, the whole culture there, anything you want to talk about when it comes to the Pittsburgh Penguins and that Stanley cup you were a part of. Um, That was, yeah, obviously number one highlight right there. Um, because the year before they went to and played uh, Detroit and lost to Detroit in the final. Game seven. Um, game seven, yeah. And that was my first, so I came and signed that next year. And it was almost like instantly you could be like, okay, these guys feel like they have something to prove. Like I didn't know anything about the year before. I remember watching on through TV and stuff like that. Um, but there was obviously from the get-go there was something – Definitely, it felt like a mission. Um, playing with Sid and Gino, um, God, Jordan Stahl was our third line center. I mean, it was a really good team. Flurry between the pipes, a um, lot of talent, a lot of uh, grit as well. Guys that you never heard of that were just could make plays. You know, whether it's just making first pass, get out of the zone, or block shot, just lots of guys like that. Um, it was just, I think we got off to a really good start. And then, like, any kind of year, we got uh, hit, like, a huge slump. I think we ended up being, like, in 10th place. Um, the big, I, I just remember it was just, like, something just wasn't clicking. Maybe we just got, like, gotten a bit of a rut the length of the season before everyone seemed just kind of, like, stuck. You know, feet were in the sand. Uh, or stuck in the mud. So they ended up uh, firing the coach, uh, who was Tarion. They brought in Bilesma, um, got rid of a couple of guys, and uh, like they traded for Craig Adams, one of those fourth line guys, would like stick his face in front of to block a shot, would fight anybody, and just, even though that's not kind of anything he did. Um, brought in Bill Guerin, he ended up big impact um and once that coaching change happened 
Um, so remember Dan came into the room before the game. Um, it was just one of those conversations that kind of resonated with everybody. He's like, listen, no matter what happens tomorrow, the newspapers and media is going to write a story. No matter what. There's a big change with the coaches. This team's slumping. Going from the finals to being a 10th spot out of the playoffs this year, they're going to write something. But it's up to, like, we had the opportunity to basically uh, dictate what they were going to write because all they're going to do is report on what happened in the game and whatnot. So it's just basically some small challenge like that we have the ability to dictate the narrative of what this team and the rest of the year is going to be like. And I think just from the get-go, it was, uh, you know, the team's always kind of coaching chains. They'll have that big spurt of life. Um, same thing happened to us. We ended up playing. I think we won that game. Um, and we just went on this tear. And uh, I don't know what the record was. I, I felt like it was probably like 22 or something like that. Um, I forget where we ended up, what place we ended up in, like fourth or third or something. You're going to have to fact check those because I'm probably totally wrong. But, yeah, just going on that run uh, and taking that momentum into the playoffs, we just kind of were like, this is it. Like, we're we're winning. Like, there was never like a, you know, we could do this. It was just more of a different, like, we're going to win. Like, it, nobody cared. That was just a belief. Like, we're going to win. And it was just that kind of, I mean, it's such a big mindset thing. Like, you're touching about earlier and stuff like that so so much of it is mental uh when you got a guy like like you say sid so good gino so good all these players that were just completely all in we're gonna do whatever it takes we're ready for it we're prepared and take guys like that kind of talent get them in the zone and it's they're pretty tough to stop like you can't you got Sig coming out one shift, trying to match up with that line. And then you got Gino coming out, trying to match up that center. He was a monster that year, too. And then Stahl comes out as a third-line uh, center, shutting guys down. They were just basically shut other teams down, score goals, and it was such a big, uh, big factor in that success as well. Right. Where does that belief come from, do you think? Like, you mentioned that word, and that's something – that, that I try to unpack and talk about quite a bit is, you know, and, and trying to develop that, you know, trying to, and trying to use it. Where do you think that came from? Like this, like that, that losing is not an option, right? Like this is, we're going to find a way through this because we believe that we're supposed to be at the top of the mountain when this is done. Um, where we got from was almost that kind of first meeting. Like it gave us almost like a chance to just reset. Um, take a breath instead of being like, holy crap, we're losing game after game. We're losing. We're not in the playoffs. Almost like a panic mode. Like we're not in the playoffs. We're not going to win. We got so much pressure because we're supposed to be winning. This is a chance to win the cup. We made it to the finals the year before. And it was almost just that right kind of combination of being like, okay, start and start over. We're still this good team. We all knew it. I mean, the players we had in that team, like there's never a doubt that we weren't like a top team. It was just maybe just one of those 
times where it's like, okay, reset, refocus. This is where we're at. This is where we want to go. And it's, it's up to us. We, if we just simply believe that we can do it, we can let ourselves do the work for it. I mean, I guess it's not just like a, I believe in myself kind of thing. It was more of, if we put in the work, we all believe that we could win. Um, yeah, and you were probably, like you said, and you get in those, you need the reset button sometimes because sometimes you start worrying about the wrong, like the focus goes in the wrong direction. You know, like you, you said it a few times, right? Oh, we're not winning. Oh, we're not in the playoffs. Oh, we're supposed to do this, right? Like none of those thoughts are helping you guys win hockey games, right? But then you press that reset button, Dan Bilesma comes in, and I couldn't imagine a more contra- uh opposing voice to Tarion. I mean, I, I know Dan as a player because yeah. I played with him. I saw him literally block a shot with it. You know how much he blocked shots back in the day. He yeah. blocked a shot with his face, broke his orbital bone. I saw him. He ended up playing. He played the, like, that guy was crazy anyways, but like a really amazing team guy. And I heard Tarion isn't that great of a human being, but I'll, I mean, I don't know. I never played for him. So I can imagine yeah. Dan coming in, though, even from the stories I heard, it was probably like, uh, it was also a breath of fresh air, I'm sure, just from a culture perspective, right? Yeah, it was definitely a, a change of pace. Because um, Tarion was that like kind of gritty. Who'd, uh, it's almost he kind of, I played a lot with him. So it's kind of like, well, he gave me lots of opportunities. But he was that just one of those coaches that almost seemed to have that shelf life. You know, like they're going to be on you, be all over you, calling you out. And just, I think after a while, and that happened with us with losing and then just the, negativity of from that kind of aspect and from your coach or whatnot guys kind of almost got to the point where like i can't do this again like stop no one's listening to you you got to change and so they brought in like you said dan blocked shots with his face funny guy always wanted to have a good time but also had that have fun doing it but also it's like winning is the fun thing like you put in the work put in the effort and we will win i mean that's i don't know you get all kind of a role like that i guess like i mean winning's not everything i guess you hear but it's i don't know it's pretty fun to win yeah it totally is um Going to take a short break here to talk about Verbero. Verbero Hockey is a company that I am affiliated with. Uh, it sells custom apparel for teams. That's one thing that is really cool about Verbero. If you need new jerseys, customized jerseys, you need custom uh, apparel, meaning team jackets or team warmies or hoodies, any of that stuff they do, they're experts at. Uh, they have an amazing design team when it comes to the uniforms to get your socks customized, uh, get your jerseys customized. They do custom gloves, all at a super affordable price. Uh, they love working direct with their customers. That's what they do. That's what makes them different. Um, I have used them before for my spring teams. Uh, if this is something that you want to use, you can reach out to me and I can get you in touch with them. That's how their business model works. They don't go to sports stores. They don't go to the big box stores. Uh, what they do is they have an online presence and they use people on the ground uh, that represent them uh, as ambassadors, I, I believe we're called is, is the right term. Uh, so 
that's how they get the word out about their product and about their business and what they do. So if you would like to um, order custom jerseys, if you would like to order custom apparel, if you would like to do these things, you can get a hold of me at Up My Hockey at the contact site, and I can get you uh, everything you need to know. The one thing I will say for the hockey parents out there uh, is their equipment, their sticks in particular, I believe are some of the best on the market. I'm talking high level, high quality, top of the line stick. Uh, it's called the Mercury 350. And um, I believe it's still the lightest stick on the market. Um, 350 grams uh, at a price point that is well underneath the, the recognized, more recognizable brands in the competition, like the uh, the Trigger 6 Pros and the, and the Bauer um, shifts or whatever they're called now, <laughs> you know, you name those top of the line sticks, the Vibero 350 is right there. It comes in an all blackout model. I think it looks super sharp. I've used it. Uh, I've had my junior, meaning my youth players use it. I have, uh, my own nines in a 55 flex. My 2012 is in a 35 flex. They also go down to 25 and 15. They all, they have the the regular curve patterns that you'd expect to see. And, um, and yeah, at a price point that you just can't beat and they last, they are durable. They are high performance. They don't break knock on wood. I haven't had an issue with any of them breaking. We've been through almost 10 now from people growing and changing flex patterns and all that. We've been using them for almost two years. And, uh, I myself have used a 75 and an 85, love them both. So that is a great place. And if you want to get them, verbero.com or verbero.ca forward slash Podolan, P-O-D-O-L-L-A-N, uh, is the way to do that. And you'll get 5% off by, uh, by using that discount code, which is Podolan. Uh, it also recognizes, uh, me as being the person that introduced you to the brand. So if you're looking to save money, but you still want a great product, uh, I'm telling you, they ship it right to your door. Give it a try. Uh, I would not be saying this if I didn't believe in the product. Um, this, like, again, the sticks, I have not used the, the, the elbow pads or the, or the pants or the skates. Like there's lots of things that I have not used, but we have used, I have first person experience with the sticks and, uh, I'm a big supporter of those and I know how hard they are to get and how expensive they are. So trying to save you uh, parents out there a few dollars, that is something that you might want to consider. So, uh, that's it. Verbero.com, uh, like I said, the uh, discount code is Padolan. And uh, if you have any questions or have any team question uh, inquiries, get a hold of me at upmyhockey.com in the contact now. Thank you so much. Now back to the interview with uh, Eric Goddard. Makes a lot of things go away. We had that good <laughs> run in Bridgeport too, right? Like that was, I, I mean, know. And we didn't win that year, but like I've had that discussion on here too, is like there's something special about those teams even to go that far, right? Yes, we didn't get to raise that trophy, but to get to the final, you got to do a lot of things right. Yeah. You know, and you got to have a tight oh. team to get there. And yeah, I mean, we fell one short, but like totally like super memorable year, like the, the bonds that we had together, how tight that team was and, and what we went through. And, and I can imagine how galvanizing that was for Pittsburgh that year before. Like you said, you weren't there to be a part of it, but to get that close, right, to get that close and and to experience what they experienced together and to not be able to lift that trophy. Um that had to have built a little of that belief internally. And then again, you get on that roll, you get a fresh voice, you found some positivity and, and things start, start rolling and um, you know, something special happens and, and you were able to be a part of that something special. What's your, what's your favorite uh, Sidney Crosby story? If, if you, if you have one and, and I don't know which way you want to go, it could be something, 
something funny because like he's known as being a pretty serious guy it, it could be something just to galvanize what everybody thinks of him already which is this guy that's like such a you know just always wants to get better and and you know has that has that professional approach or whichever way you want to go but i i think it would be silly not to ask you something about him um yeah i don't know stories that i they were talking earlier my memory is kind of tough it's like get these things brought up and then they come flashing back um but yeah to play with that guy and saw like the I don't know, some of the, like the superstitions and stuff like that the guy had. I mean, but I think those superstitions go back to just how the, someone prepares for a game. Well, it's like so weird, but it's like, well, I'll just do this because it makes me feel good in the game. I mean, that's kind of it, but... Uh, well, I know about his jock. Like, is that kind of... I, I heard he had the same jock from like Adam or something or from Bantam. Like, it's been re-sewn like a 500 times or something like... Is that is that a true story? I don't even know if it's re-sewn because I don't know. You see this guy like I think he's actually dropped some weight since the game's kind of changed. It doesn't have to be as, but his legs and his ass were like enormous. Like just the strength this guy had with this, it was enormous. But he had this jog. It's been re-stitched and re-sewn. Like the thing was, like. That's all he did. He wouldn't replace any elastic or anything like that. So it was just this huge, huge, long piece of fabric. There's no stretch. It's not tightening back up. So it basically just sits on there. Oh, he almost had to do like squats and workout just to keep the thing up. <laughs> but it would just hang on in there. I don't even know how it stayed. It never stayed in place. It couldn't have. <laughs> so that wasn't true. <laughs> oh, yeah. The thing's enormous. That's funny. It's like trying to put on a hula hoop with a cup oh on it. Oh my god! Um, well, one maybe this will maybe this will ring, and maybe you can you can add to this because uh, David Quinn I had on as the Rangers coach, and he said he he just brought it up. He, he had he had a he had a colleague that was at the NHL awards banquet in in Las Vegas, and uh, and it was the year that Sid was like twenty two or something. I know you didn't play with him at that point, but. Uh, early in his career and it was when he won his first heart trophy. So he just, he just won the night before, right? The heart trophy for the best player in the world. And this guy was leaving for his flight at six in the morning to go back. Like that was, he was assistant coach for some team and he's leaving the hotel and he walks past the weight room and Sidney Crosby is working out at 6am in Vegas the night after he won the heart trophy. And, and, I mean, my God, I mean, you, you don't have to make too much of a, to be like, are you kidding me? Like in Vegas, like you didn't go out for a few drinks, Sid, and like maybe want to sleep in, but like, he's actually yeah. trying to get better for the next year. Like, it, is that pretty prototypical of what his approach was like? Um, I'd say so. Yeah. Like he was obviously the guy has enormous amounts of talent. His hockey IQ is, is amazing. I mean, I'm probably sure there's other guys out there that are good, but just didn't have the same kind of mental focus or drive to, to be the same way. Um, but yeah, he would do like work like that. He would, uh, I don't know, student of the game. He'd be like, we'd be leaving practice sometimes. He's still in there trying to tweak a stick or something like that, just to get ready for the next night. He's just hanging out at the rink. Just love being there shooting pucks. Yeah. Um, but he was definitely, He is like on him. I don't know. I shouldn't say on him, but he's constantly wants to get better. He wants to, 
I don't think he had any grudges towards people, but he like wants to make sure everyone knows that he's going to be the hardest working guy out there. Um, it's just me. I mean, you still see it now, like how he approaches the game. Um, I mean, you can put, I felt like he could put anybody on his line. He's going to make them better and turn him into like 40 goal scorers. But he is, yeah, he's definitely a special, special guy, special talent. Like he loves having fun too. But he's like, when it comes to work, he's, he's putting in the work. Yeah, yeah. And he said always. I mean, you, I think you said there. He always wants to get better. And I heard that he's always working on his game. And that's the one thing that I, I mean, for the message, why I like talking about that is because the message is very similar, like what the message was with Kobe Bryant, or what the message is for. Um, you know, Michael Jordan's was is like these young kids see these guys on TV and they see how awesome they are and they see their highlight real goals and all the points that they get and stuff. And and I think they, they don't really understand that they're working harder than those kids have ever worked ever in their life at, the, at something that they're the best in the world at. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, we, 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 totally. we, I think they think it's just happening for them. They're just better, right? They're just the best. But like Sydney at the best in the world is in the gym at six in the morning in Vegas when everyone else is drinking beers. Right. And he's working on his game after practice and he's in the weight room doing whatever. Like it's not it's not an accident for these guys. And I, and I think that's the thing that I like uh, about Sydney, maybe more so than Mario, who was my idol, because Mario seemed to be one of those guys that was like just really natural, you know, like really natural. And although Sid was a, like it was a phenom from a young age, he worked his ass off from what I heard and, and still does to be at the shape that he's in. So thanks for sharing those stories. I just like having that out there right because we do have this idea of these guys that they're just they're just way better you know oh, they're kinda, so good they just kind of let's there's nothing i can do about it right they're, let's they're just so up, much right? good and you know it's like if i could shoot like that or put that in, i'd be the same kind of thing it's like well no like like i said like COVID, there's a reason those guys get separated because of they work with the talent they have yeah and they get the most out of it mm-hmm. uh I know your buddy still. Well, I, I think you're still buddies. The last time I talked to you, you were with uh, with Mark Andre Fleury, um, who is one of the biggest personalities in the game. And it seems like everywhere he goes, I mean, he, geez, he won a Vezina two years ago, like didn't he? Like at thirty, yeah. whatever, six, like insane. Had another good season this year. It seems like every team he goes on, he makes better. Uh, just like Sid, you said with his with his line mates. I mean, what a testament to a player to say, yeah, you make everyone else around you better. Uh, what what makes Mark Andre special, and why does he have such that such a lasting impression on the league? Um, I don't know. You know what? Probably mostly, well, not mostly, but everyone talks about like how good of a guy he is and stuff like that. He's always, um, I don't know. He's just like a character. He's always fun loving. He's always making guys laugh, making feel guys at ease. Um, what makes him? Sorry, what were you asking there? Well, it's like what how I... he how he has this like he has, seems to have this effect, right? Like where he goes. I mean, people want to play for him. It seems like it seems like he makes the locker room better. He makes guys better around him. I'm just wondering about his like what about his personality or his work ethic or his approach? Like, has that impact on, on a team? Oh, um, yeah, his work ethic too is is crazy. You know, he's one of those guys talented that works. I mean, it's kind of a almost like a simple story in that way. Um, but guys want to play hard in front of him because he puts in an effort. Um, but at the same time, he's always making guys laugh. And sometimes you see the goalies, they just don't, like they kind of off to themselves. They're not like goofing around in front of 
I don't know. I think he's going up for warm-ups or something like that. Or after warm-ups going up for the game, he's doing cartwheels in his gear. You're just like, what? <laughs> just laughing. You know, he's like, you go and score, he'd just chirp you if you scored on him. You know, or he makes a big save and he's just laughing at you, throwing it in your face. But he's just, but I don't know. One of those is a fun guy. It's like the teammate that you want to help win because you see him doing so well. Um, and also, you go back to that run for us too. It's like, Maybe we could, we weren't as scared. We're like, okay, he's going to stop this one for us. We, you know, when you have the confidence of having just a good goalie, you just play better. Yeah. And with his kind of outgoing personality, it's just kind of almost took like the edge off. Yeah. But he's just, he's a good guy. It's almost to a point where it's kind of, because he's had a weird last few years. It's almost, God, it's like frustrating for me knowing the guy. Like I say, he wins the uh, Vezina, he gets dealt uh, Chicago for nothing. Then he's like out of Chicago. He's now he's in Mini. It's awesome. Like guys love him there too. Yeah. So it's cool to see him there again. But just the level of talent and stuff like that. Sometimes I almost think it's forgotten because like oh he's such a a good guy. You know he's such a team guy. And you're like well if you can just put that aside, he is an amazing goalie. Like. Like I said, when Vezna's at what was it thirty like yeah. competitive his whole his whole life. Yeah, one well, first overall. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, that's pretty rare for a tender too. Uh, well, I love yeah. that though. Like as far as that aspect is concerned, like not to downplay his skill level or his stats or anything else, or his accomplishments, but to play that long and to play well and get results, I think that is sometimes the missing piece for goalies because there is something a little bit different about goalies. I know everyone says goalies weird, goalies or whatever, but like the, the, they're legitimately playing a different game than everybody else. Oh, like they're, they're the only I ones totally to wear that agree. equipment. They're the only ones that have to do what they have to do. Like it's a completely different game for them, and, and a lot of times it attracts a different type of personality to, that's able to do that. And and they get left alone. Sometimes they want to be left alone, but the odd time you'll have a guy like Mark Andre Fleury. Or I think like Jack Campbell, not that they're the same personality, but like Jack Campbell was a guy in Toronto that those guys wanted, like they really wanted to play for him. Like they loved him, right? Yeah. And when you when you love your tender, like I do think you get more out of your team because you really want him to do well. And I and I and I think that, that that shouldn't be understated either for the young goalies listening, is like whatever that is, whatever you are, be you, but really invest in your teammates. Like I loved a goalie that would be like pat me on the back on the pads or like thanking me for a big goal or a guy that would would uh you know tap his defenseman for for blocking a shot like that kind of stuff goes a long way right like guys oh. guys care about that and that's i think mark andre does, does a great job of that oh he's amazing he's the best one yeah like your point like he's the best goalie for that that i've ever played with um but yeah totally completely agree with what you say like you want to play for those guys um because i'm sure you ran into some of those goalies that were just you couldn't talk to them before the game or anything. They you touch their gear, they'd lose your mind. You're like, like you just after a while, you're like, just shut your mouth in. Like, yeah. oh, you got scored on. That's tough. You know, like <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you're such a dick. Right? Yeah. yeah. No, I hear you. I totally hear you. It can be a little yeah. bit much at times because it is, it is a, you know, it's a team thing. And, and again, and like I said, personality is personality. And you can't, you I mean, you can't change a ton of who you are, but you can totally celebrate and amplify different portions, right? And turn down yeah. others. And I think the guys that, uh, yeah, the goalies. And, and to put your, to your point, though, because I don't want to forget about this. Goalies, 
that make it fun in practice because they're so damn competitive. Like they're so competitive. They don't want you to score in practice and they make that aspect fun. Like, Oh my gosh, they can supply so much intensity to a practice. Whereas the guy that just stands there and doesn't move. And you've had that guy before too. Oh yeah. It gets like, mad at you because you're not shooting down or that. Oh, it's terrible. Awful, it's just right? Terrible. Yeah. It's so bad. And so, anyways, to young goalies out there, like a massive big part of the. I mean, Brian Sutter said it best, I think, or Daryl. He said, "You show me, I'll show you a great coach when you show me a great goalie." <laughs> <laughs> right? Like they're a huge, they're a huge piece of the oh. team, right? Like you're not going to win without a good goalie. But no. I mean, you have such an impact to practice. You have such an impact to like the culture around there. Um, that is something that I would totally, I mean, as a scout, we haven't even talked about that. God, we got to talk about that. But as a scout, that's what I would be watching. Yes. I want somebody that can stop the puck, but I want to see what that guy is like with his team. And I want to watch him practice for sure. For me, a goalie, I want to see a goalie practice before I'd even consider listing him or drafting him. Um, because I think that that position is so important for the whole core of your team and what it's about. Yeah. Uh, hundred percent. You can't win if you don't, if you can't stop the puck, um, well, yeah, definitely trying to scout and watch those guys. Um, I can't tell you, like, <laughs> what I know. I heard a good a good saying that somebody had. Um, you're like, well, he looks like a goalie. The guy's having a good game right now. You're like, well, he looks like a goalie. You tell, like, the guy who's scouting goalies, yeah, go, I think this guy's good. Go watch him, and then they can break down his, I don't know, demeanor or form or how the guy sees angles and stuff like that. But so I watched one. He's like, Oh, I made some good saves. Like this guy looks pretty good. And I don't just pass the buck, pass it on to the next guy. Right. Who knows a little more. Yeah. Well, fair enough. I mean, I talked to Dave Oliver about that too. Cause it's like, I don't think it's fair for like, you are scouting a different position, right. And one that you're totally not familiar with. So it, it's really hard for somebody, I think to, to feel comfortable in scouting a goalie who has never really been one or knows what, that is like most coaches even especially at the minor league level like they judge a goalie by how many pucks they do you stop the puck and i like him you know like i really like him he does a good job stopping the puck but there's different ways to to get to that end so but let's talk about that so you mean you've been out of the game and and i don't want to make this run on too long and and uh and there's way more we could talk about with your career but now you're still in hockey now you're working with the with the minnesota wild uh in the scouting capacity let us know uh what what circuit you're on and what you're responsible for um, I'm just like, uh, I guess my title is a uh, regional amateur scout. So I'll watch the Western league and the BCHL and a bit in the Alberta league, uh, junior league. So I get to be back in the game. I started last December, January. So it's still quite, a still lost to learn quite a bit to try and last year was learn on the fly. Guys have been great. Be like, just try and go as many games as you can and, Try and take notes on who you think's good and who's playing well. Uh, but yeah, been out was out of the game for quite a while, and instantly once I kind of got this chance, how great it feels! Like I'm loving it. I feel like back in the game. I mean, there's all the different regional guys um, from Ontario and the Quebec down in the states that it just feels. Um, to be back part of a team, you know, guys will text back and forth and thoughts and I can call these guys and even just text them for like simple advice and question. And they've just been amazing to be back in that kind of environment and kind of team wanting to be successful in this kind of 
scouting these players and hopefully get them get some good ones that's fantastic that's, been, that's super cool so like it sounds it sounds like well one you're back in an arena sort of back to your roots right like back to what you know and what you have known forever uh but the real connection point sounds like the fact that you're part of a part of a team again your own team correct yeah yeah definitely um but yeah i feel like i don't know playing for so long like since we're kids it's like what did someone say to me he's like we're hockey players that was out of the game too we're hockey players this is this is what we do we're we play hockey we watch hockey and it's just something yeah once i got back into kind of the rinks and stuff like that and watching players it just felt not that i'm any good at it anymore that there's so much more work to be done but it was just okay like i want to be here like i want to do this yeah. this job for <laughs> as, as long as i can hopefully i don't get fired but <laughs> you know what man like it's so it, as you say that and and like that's kind of the your epiphany is like you're 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 back right you're back part of this team and uh for it just hit me like this podcast for me has been that like I, i've been in the game like with my kids and stuff so I've i've been connected to hockey but what I really love about doing this is that it's connecting me with old teammates. And it's not like everyone that's been a guest on this is now like part of this big team, but it, it's, it's allowed me to have that. I revisit it once a week. I get to revisit it right yeah. in an hour interview of telling the old stories and connecting with you and being one of the boys again. And it, and I always leave these conversations like jacked up, you know, like I, I yeah. just, I feel good. Like the day's better uh, because I've connected and uh and yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty powerful thing to say because it sounds like you're being able to connect again, right? Like you're being able to connect with hockey guys about things that you you guys care about and can connect with, and and there's something that feels good about that. Oh, hundred percent, yeah. Just coming back to like I got away from the game for so long, I almost would t- talk about some of these stories. Sorry to to go back to just what you said. Like I always feel. Like I feel pumped up talking to like remembering remembering all these stories. Uh, you telling these stories, and I'm like, oh, I totally forgot about that. Just a smile, such a great feeling. Yeah. I got away from hockey like for too long to where I was like, that's eh, not a big deal, you know. It's like now it's like I'm back involved in like a organization, a team. And every time I see those guys too, it's like I get pumped up. I'm excited, you know, going on the road again getting to watch these games get to do have a role again in in a team um it's such a i don't know such a great feeling yeah like i just I yeah did. excited every time i get to see you guys what um so do you so i you said you started at christmas time uh, i want to i want to talk a little bit about like the players you know whatever that you like or what you're looking for because that's exactly what like my audience is, is listening to these are guys, these are guys that want to get noticed at the junior level or, or at the NHL level, you know, they want to, they want to be able to separate themselves that they don't necessarily know how to do it. So I want to ask you about that, but I, uh, from a practical standpoint, so you get, you're getting your feet wet last year. You're, you're, you're in there from Christmas time on there is, there's been an NHL draft since then. Uh, did you have a say at the table or did one of your guys get, get picked at this point? Do you have, do you have uh, do you have a dog in the race right now? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, there's a couple guys from out west that got picked, um, and it was it's cool to see. There's another guy uh, that does the out west, name's Pat Baum. He lives in Saskatoon, and he's been he's been doing it a long time. Like, so it's great to talk to him. Um, 
get advice from him. Um, I think they lean more heavily upon his advice because <laughs> he's tried and trusted. Um, I just tried to pitch in where I could. Um, sure. Who'd you guys draft? Um, from out west? Yeah. Uh, there's a kid played in the Okotoks last year is Rieger Lorenz, and um, he's going to the University of Denver this yep. year. And um, what's his name? Mikey Milne, for, uh, I played with the Winnipeg Ice last year, which is he's uh, this he was 19, so not his draft year, but two years past his draft year. Um, oh, so you signed him as a free agent? Uh, no, drafted him. Oh, okay. So second year, which is kind of, yeah, no, a third year. Are you so like three the, years now? Yeah, you can get. Since I think you, next year he would have just turned into a free agent, but this year, but that's one of the things the guys um, are liking. You talk about guys that, what kind of traits they work on. I mean, the guy's a skilled player. Obviously, he can put up some points. Um, one of the, what I've kind of learned is like you can have like an IQ in a hockey sense. Um, you can't really kind of teach that, I guess. I mean, and they, one of our kind of big things is character and compete. How's this guy showing up each game? Is he working? Um, talk to their coaches and stuff like that. Does this guy compete in practice? You know, watch him in practice. Um, what kind of character did this guy got? Is he going to be, get some maybe should have been a penalty but as you get up staring at yelling at the ref and doing this like slow little trot back to the bench it's like that's not really good character kind of well you know guys that are just kind of that you don't want to play with you're like just i don't know that goes a long way i guess in what i'm saying in, in guys eyes yeah well to you mentioned a few times there's a. Uh... Especially at the WHL, I mean, any level. WHL level, the funnel gets a little bit tighter. You know, AHL, it's a little bit tighter again. But my point being is that there's a lot of guys that can play hockey, right? Yeah. Like there's a lot of guys with good skill. There's a lot of guys that can play. And and you're pointing to an intangible that, like, is now one of these separators, right? Because there is a lot of options. You sit there, you watch kids all year long, right? Like, all year long that can play the game. And you're looking for that difference maker that's going to allow them to take that next step and be an NHL player. And, uh, yeah, and character comes up time and time again. And, and you I mean, how guys describe it is different. You know, like, the description of character is different. But people see it sometimes and they understand it. Um, and so obviously you liked what you saw here with, uh, with Rieger or with, with Milne when you had, when you had eyes on him last year. Yeah. I just try and like write reports on them and try and talk about what I like about the game. And, um, I guess you'll try and do interviews and stuff like that. That's still not a very kind of awkward zone for me trying to break start a conversation with these kids. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, just see kind of how they carry themselves. Are they going to put in the work? How do they play from when the games are tough? How are they going to play when things aren't going their way? Are they going to work? Are they going to shut down? Um, like the one kid, Lorenz, like he get, he'll get uh, – he's one of the, t the top player on the team, obviously. Um, kind of carried the team to where they got to. Um Obviously a target guy's trying to take cheap shots. Um, maybe stays down, but you saw something in him that he wants to be the guy to score the goal 
to whatever, kind of stick it back to the other team. You know, he's not getting outside of his mind and going to take another bad retaliatory penalty. He's just going to, okay, okay, you want to do this to me? I'm just going to score, and we're going to win the game. I'm going to beat you. That's kind of a cool thing to kind of pick up on that I noticed about him that I liked. Um, can you, can you, because I, uh, I, lo- I love what you just said there. What I'd like to try and do is to give players actionable descriptions of what that looks like. Like, how did, how did that look to you? Like, what did you see him do that told you that this guy, this is, this is the way this guy thought? Um, yeah, so we got a, uh, what happened to play? Got a good whack on his wrist or whatever. And, um, but then you see, like, uh, the other team's just kind of always talking to him. You saw that throughout the game and stuff like that, and he's just not reacting. But there's something about that next shift where he was um, – his pace picked up just a little bit. He's obviously at a, at a high, uh, high skill and can skate. But something about it just was noticeably different. Like, he was demanding the puck. He was moving it with a purpose to to make sure and being like, hey, you're giving that puck back to me. Like, I'm scoring this goal. There's just something about that that you can notice. You know, you'd be around hockey, you're like, okay, this guy's got a – there's something else going on this shift. There's something else going on this game. That's fantastic. That's okay, yeah, because there's a lot of ways to respond, right? There's a lot of ways that that yeah. could have looked like. He could have been pouty. He could have been chirping. He could have been taking a cheap shot. But, like, his response – to that was uh, was one that you deemed a positive one and told you something about what what's inside of him um, that made him draftable and separated him. I love that. I mean, I, I love that kind of stuff. And, and that's the stuff too, like for you, everyone listening and the parents out there, it's usually the shitty stuff that happens that the scouts are really now tuning into. The score is six, nothing. What's, what's he doing? He just gave yeah. up. He made a terrible turnover. What's he going to do next? Right, like it's not that you can't make the turnover, but it's like you're now seeing this window into this kid's personality type, right? Of how he's going to respond, and that's the thing I think that the players miss is like, you know, like the old saying, "Gotti, what do you do when no one's watching?" Sometimes players yeah. think there's no one watching in that moment, or they're not watching that thing. But that's exactly what I think a, a, a scout is watching. Like that's when you're watching the, the most. You know, yeah. when, when the chips are down, what are you going to do? Uh, so I love that you're bringing that up because. Um, we practice that on a daily basis, I think, right? Like you oh, can't yeah. turn it on in a game, I, I think. And that's why people think it's like true character or it's not true character. But I do think you can work on character, but you have to be, you have to be, you have to approach it like that. Like, you know, whatever, whether it's like a candy wrapper that's sitting by the garbage can, do you walk by it or do you pick it up and put it in the can? You know, like there's little micro examples of that all throughout your day where you can kind of do the right thing or you don't. And I think it shows up in those moments on the ice for these guys when, when you know, it might not be the natural right thing for them, so they don't do it. No, yeah, it's basically um, – I mean, then you go look at parts of the game where you call guys great leaders. They start to hold everybody more accountable, whereas you might have walked past that piece of trash before and just, oh, whatever. And then you walk in with your buddy. He's like, hey, like, what are you doing? Like, pick that up. It's not right. And it's just – then that will be – like a learning moment for that guy or maybe he doesn't learn from it and then it's like well that might have been your one shot it's crazy the whole often guys will learn from it though yeah absolutely 
so powerful. And that's why I think the environment, which is why I love what I do. And like, just in that coaching element, whether it's coaching young men or whether it's like my private clients, but like, we, we, we can't, sometimes I think scouts and I know you're new at it, but like there's sometimes there's this assumption that they just like, oh, they don't have it. They're not there. Right. But it's like, maybe they haven't been given the choice to be able to make the right decision. You know, like maybe they're not really lazy. Maybe they just haven't been exposed to what really hard work looks like, you know, like maybe, maybe, maybe. Right. So I'm always yeah. the guy that's asking the maybe and trying to unturn, overturn these stones for these players so they can start connecting the dots and being like, oh, OK, I can make a different decision in this moment right because yeah. before that option wasn't there for them maybe right um anyways and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't right sometimes players get it and sometimes they don't but there definitely is scenarios where i do see big changes in guys and they can start making different choices and it just becomes who they are uh which is super fun but uh I'm glad that you're doing mm -hmm. what you do now. I'm glad you're pumped doing what you're doing. I'm going to be uh, calling your phone too now and uh, I'm spending <laughs> more time in ranks. So maybe we can get to a yeah. couple games together and we can hot stove what we're looking at. And uh, That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I love that stuff. So Godzi, it's been 90 minutes. I told you 60. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to let you go. I know you could probably keep going here for a long time, but um, super fun reminiscing with an old teammate. And I never, well, I have thank you, but I'll thank you again. Thanks for inviting me and my family over to your house there for that Stanley cup party. It's still one of the Hudson like loves that picture now, you know, yeah. like him sleeping in the cup as, as a six week old baby. So yeah, super great. great memories from that day. And to be a part of that big win with you is uh, very grateful for that. So thanks so much for being here and thanks so much for that moment. No problem. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks buddy. for having me. No worries. Um, we'll maybe get you on at the end of the year here when the, uh, when you have another year under your belt and we can talk more about scouting and uh, you know, what that, what that is for players and, uh, and just sort of break down the, you know what it is that you're looking for um because that's a that, that's a whole episode unto itself i really i really think you know and 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 what nhl teams want and and how different organizations have different mandates you know and you could speak about uh, minnesota and what they're doing i know billy garen sets the director there but anyways i'm getting off another tangent so we'll, we'll leave it alone thanks so much for joining us here today and um till next time uh you keep doing what you're doing and uh we'll see you on the flip side all right take care all right, man. Well, that was. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode, all 90 minutes. You are an up my hockey all-star. Uh, but I'm glad you, I'm sure you're glad you stayed too, because I thought that that conversation really picked up at the end. I mean, for me, real special moment was hearing Eric, you know, light up about what he's doing now and, and seeing him, just be authentically, authentically grateful for the place he's in. Uh, the fact that he's reconnected it with the team environment at the NHL level, watching hockey, something that he loves. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that to me just, it, it, it made me feel good. And, uh, and those conversations, obviously, anytime we can walk away from something with a, with a fresh perspective or something that reminds us of, uh, of our own uh, gratitude, right? And, and our own situation in life that maybe things we have overlooked, uh, like me with this podcast, you know, that, uh, that as much work goes into this thing that, you know, you listeners don't see like the, the cutting and the, and, and the editing and the production of it. And, uh, you know, the, the help that I require from my wife that, uh, that I am grateful for that, but that has ended up in a few disagreements here and there. And, uh, you know, and the editing and then the putting on, I mean, there's, there's a lot, right. That goes into this. I love the conversations. 
I authentically love having the conversations. It makes me feel good. And it's something that sometimes I overlook. Uh, and I didn't really know why it made me feel good. But there's never a conversation that goes by that I am not on a high for the rest of the day that goes over into the next day and over into the next day. It is definitely an uplifting point of my week. And the fact that I get to share them with you uh, is a super added bonus. And the fact that there is value some, sometimes, hopefully all the time, uh, in the conversations and lessons um, for you as listeners, uh, that also makes me feel good. So I'm grateful for Eric uh, to mentioning that and allowing me to reconnect to this podcast and why it is that I do it, the true nature of why I do it. And, uh, and obviously all the stories and, and all the laughs and, and all, the, all the reflections uh, that we were able to, to share there together, Eric and I, over the past 90 minutes. And, you know, after the conversation was done, he sent me a text and, you know, just saying how, how much he appreciated the, the conversation. And, and it's really good to do that. So uh, I think sometimes... And I can't speak for women. I'm sure it's probably the same, although you seem to be a bit more social creatures than, than, than us guys, at least us guys from the, from the hockey world. I think that we don't have enough conversations. I, I think that we find ourselves keeping to ourselves a little too often, not reaching out and just talking just for the sake of talking and, and for telling a good story. I know that I'm a bit of an introvert myself, and, um, and I think it's just a really good reminder that uh, being a part of something, being a part of a team, being able to talk, being able to share just for the sake of doing it uh, is great for the soul. It's great for the heart. It's great for our mental health. And um, and I think that these podcasts in some weird way kind of serve that purpose, that the conversations that perhaps I have, uh, I hope that they feel like they're conversations that you're involved in as well. I definitely try and keep them conversational and social on that level. So hopefully um, what was working for me here is also working for, for you on the other side there. And I definitely do encourage you guys out there to, uh, to reach out and to make that phone call that maybe you haven't made in a while and to connect with somebody that you know you should be talking to because I think those connections matter. I think they're good on a lot of levels, uh, not just even the mental health level, but just on the social connection, networking, um, human level. So yeah, that's my, that's my takeaways from all from all the great things we talked about, I think this turned out to me to be a real uh, human human episode, uh, and uh, and something that I'm I'm very happy to share with you guys, and and uh, and I hope it impacted you in the same way it impacted me. So, till next time, play hard and keep your head up. Just watch my man.